Hello, Pastor Inslee here from Homeville's Baptist Church, bringing you a practical, in-depth study of the Word of God. You know, our highest calling uh, is truly to know and follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He, he is the answer to all of our problems. He's the key to overcoming any obstacle this world can throw at us, this life can throw at us. And the remedy is truly found in the Word of God. You know, I truly believe that all Scripture... Uh, is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for uh, correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. You know, with these truths in mind, I want you to take your copy of the Word of God this evening and join me as we study to show ourselves approved unto God. And we will begin today... Uh, with our, our, I've retitled our series. We've been going through Genesis, the book of Genesis, studies in Genesis, and I've retitled this Walking with Abraham. So this is actually part 10 in our series entitled Walking with Abraham, and we're going to pick up the reading today in Genesis chapter 15. Uh, we'll read down to verse number, number 14. Uh, verse number 1 of Genesis chapter 15 says this, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold to me, thou hast given no seed. And lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold... The word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad, and said, Look now toward heaven, and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees, to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he, being God, said unto him, Take me an heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And verse 12 says, And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and they shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterward shall they come out with great substance. This verse number thirteen. This this a land that a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and they shall serve them uh, and afflict them and afflict them four hundred years. This is going to be the key of our of our study today. And the big takeaway from this message is that we can trust the word of God. We can trust God. We can trust the words of God. And we're going to get into some dates today. Uh, and we might even do some math in public, but I trust it will be interesting and, and a help to you as much as it was to me when I first studied this, these things out. You know, in our previous study, 
Uh, we looked at God's unconditional covenant to Abram. We talked about how God was the one who walked the, those divided sacrifices. And God will indeed give the land, and he will give it to Abram's seed. We see that right there in verse number 18. Unto thy seed have I given this land. You know, essentially, this promise is to the Lord Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.16 informs us that the promise was ultimately from God the Father through Abraham. And there's a lot to be said about that. But from God the Father to God the Son. And the two truths for Abraham are, are, are this. Number one, that the promised land will eventually be a possessed land. And that the seed of the woman... Uh, will reign as its sovereign king. The seed of a woman, uh, certainly being a reference back to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And it was in this promise that righteousness was imputed to Abraham, upon Abraham, because he believed. And we too receive righteousness by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Abraham believed in a seed who would come, and we believe in a seed who has already came. So we believe in the same, the Lord Jesus Christ. And these are the truths we focused on in our last lesson uh, in Genesis. But this lesson today, we'll, we're going to begin with a focus on the timeline of Abram's promise. We're going to look at uh, the geographical boundaries of, of the Holy Land, the Promised Land, and the timeline uh, in which they entered this 400 years. Now we're going to talk about these things. Look at verse number 13. Again, verse number 13 says, And he said unto him, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. You know, if you've done any homework on this, if you've, if you've tried to calculate some things, your scriptural math, your calculation of dates and years and so forth, they may or may not have added up for you when you when you put these years together this 400 years into a calendar and to add to your potential confusion i say potential because it's really not as we'll see here exodus 12 verse 40 states this the sojourning of the children of israel who dwelt in egypt was 430 years so there are some commentators who say that god just gave Abraham a good rounded number in his dream here. He gave him 400 years instead of 430. But I just don't think that's the case. I don't think, uh, and, and maybe that's just me, but I don't, I don't know if our God works that way. I think when he says 400, he means 400. And when he says 430, specifically in this case with Abraham, he means 430. And for those who are maybe ambivalent towards those dates, maybe we don't care what's the big deal, God made a big deal about it. He made at least a little bit of emphasis, rather, on, on this time period down to the very day. In Exodus 12, verse 41, the Bible says, And it came to pass at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day it came to pass, that all the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. So God makes it down to the very, the very specific day, the self-same day, the Word of God says. So 430 years have surpassed or have passed, have gone by, and to the very day, God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. Therefore, I think verse 13 of Genesis chapter 15 merits a little bit more exposition. And I want you to notice first that the prophecy can be divided in at least two parts. Probably a few more, but at least two parts. 
Number one, we see that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not there. So we're going to focus first in a land that is not there. What does that mean? In verse 18 of Genesis chapter 15, we see that God told Abraham, Unto thy seed have I given this land. So it's past tense. So it is as if it's already theirs. But in Genesis 12, verse 7, the Bible says, God says, Unto thy seed will I give this land, as in it will be theirs. So in, in the grand scheme of things, it is theirs. God's promised it, and outside of God is outside of time and matter and all those things. Uh, so it's, it's definitely theirs. And whether or not, uh, regardless of who's living in that land, the Canaanites, the, the Amorites, the Perizzites, and all those ites uh, that we've been reading about, but regardless of who they are, it is the promised land. It is a holy land that belongs to the children of Israel. However, it's not theirs yet. In uh, in time, the time that we live in, specifically Abraham's time, he didn't look around and say, "Okay, this is the promised land." Maybe he said that, but this is my land. Uh, I don't think he had that kind of uh, of understanding there, and I don't think any of us would. In other words, what I'm trying to say is that the land that they are in, even though it is promised to them, it's not really theirs yet. It belongs to the Canaanites. And it really doesn't belong to them until after Joshua's conquest. Uh, and, and then after those 40 years are over, those 40 years in the, desert, in the desert, and Joshua leads them in the conquest, uh, we can see the exact borders of the promised land. There's certain scriptures that, are, that, that lay out the borders to the north, to the west, to the east, and the south, and all those things. And we're going to focus mostly on that southwestern border, uh, defining you know the, the the difference between Egypt and Israel, where where that line is at. Because having an, an idea where the promised land is uh, aids in our understanding of when the children of Israel actually entered the promised land, when they lived in the promised land, and all those things. And as was pointed out last week. In our lesson, Israel doesn't currently possess all the land that is promised to them. They don't possess the land that God's promised to them there here in the book of Genesis and further uh, throughout Moses' writings. Uh, but God delivered on that promise with Joshua, and he will certainly deliver on that promise again. The seed will reign in the Holy Land. And we also see Israel occupying uh, probably the entirety of the promised land under King Solomon, uh, and, and maybe under the reign of King Jeroboam II. However, in relation to our timeline as we study through Genesis 15, I want you to look at verse, uh, verse 8. Uh, and it says, the river of Egypt. So we want to talk about this river of Egypt, because it's the border between, uh, it's the southwestern border of Israel. And it helps us see the geographical boundaries of the Holy Land. Okay, so the river of Egypt, it could be the Nile. Many, some have said that. Uh, it's an easy enough landmark for us to understand. But it most likely is the river or the wadi that separates Israel and today is Sinai, and otherwise, otherwise known as Wadi el-Arish. Uh, in in uh, Exodus chapter 33, verse 1, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart and go up hence. Thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt unto the land which I swear unto Abram. So that verse separates Egypt and the promised land, the land out of Egypt unto the land which I swear unto Abram. 
Now, the Nile River is most definitely in the land of Egypt, both on our modern-day maps and on ancient maps. It runs right through the heart of it. So God would not be telling Moses to leave the Nile River if the Nile River area, if it were the promised land. Wadi el-Arish, on the other hand, uh, is today an intermittent brook. It only gets very seasonal, very uh, not that much water into it. And it's an intermittent brook beginning at the Mediterranean Sea, uh, going towards the Gulf of Aqaba, and it starts right there at the city of El Arish. You can see it on any, any modern-day map, the, the, the city there, El Arish, and you can see the Gulf of Aqaba. You just trace that down, that wadi there is, is most likely the, the river or the brook of Egypt. It's in North Sinai today, and it's about 30 miles west-southwest of the modern-day Israeli border. So, again, Israel doesn't occupy what God has promised them to occupy even today. And after studying a number of scriptures about the borders of Israel, that wadi there, wadi el-Arish, is most certainly the southwestern border. Which, if you were to look at King Solomon's map or, or a map uh, displaying the, the extent of King Solomon's reign, you'll see it at the, at the southwest side. Uh, since God told them to leave Egypt and go to the promised land, uh, the border most definitely cannot be the Nile River. Otherwise, if you think about it, if, if the Nile River were the border of Israel, Egypt would have been a part of the conquest uh, that Joshua went through and did all those things in the Holy Land, which we know it was not. And this is, again, these things are important to the timeline because it matters where the Israelites were during the 400 years and knowing when they possessed the land tells us when the clock stops or starts or however you want to look at that. In other words, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to look at this study here and the 400 years, we have to make a decision. Does that, do the Israelites have to be in Egypt for the 400 years or can some of that 400 years be actually in the Holy Land that it's not theirs yet? It's promised but not possessed. So we're going to talk about those things. And the phrase in verse 13 uh, that says, Thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. I don't think it, it has to only include Egypt. I think it also includes what would be the promised land, uh, or the possessed land, rather. And why must this be the case? Notice the remaining part of that verse. Again, verse 13 says, Thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. So when did it end? When did it begin? This is the question remaining uh, for today's lesson. And Galatians chapter 3, I think, gives us the beginning point and the ending point very, very clearly and confirms to us that they must, of a necessity, be in the promised land during the 400 years of persecution and not all, not all of that would be in Egypt. So look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Verse 16, we've already read this once, and I think we read it in the last lesson, but verse 16 says, Now to Abram and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. So there was a promise to Abraham. Uh, and the next verse says, And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. 
Notice first the ending point in verse 17. Paul says that the covenant confirmed is the law. That's a reference to the law. When, when, when Moses went up to the Mount, uh, Mount Sinai, God gave him the Ten Commandments and all the law. That was 430 years after. After what? After the promise to Abram. And the very first occurrence of God's promise to Abram is in Genesis chapter 12, especially verse 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. It's also possible that Paul is referring to when Abram left his father's house to go to the promised land, both recorded there in Genesis chapter 12. Therefore, God's promise to Abram about the seed, about a coming seed, is either while he was in Ur of the Chaldees, when God first called him, or right after he arrived to the promised land there in Bethel and Mamre and all those places. But either way, both events were probably in a year, uh, which begins the 430-year clock. And Abram was 75 years old, according to Genesis chapter 12. So think about this. We're going to do some math in public here. From Abram's 75th year to the receiving of the law by Moses, according to Galatians 3.17, was 430 years. Verse 13 of Genesis chapter 15 says, They shall afflict them 400 years. So what do we make of the 30-year difference? The answer is found, I believe, in the time of the affliction. There are 443 years between the promise and the law, and 400 of those years are persecution. And most conservative scholars believe that this persecution began in Genesis chapter 21. In Genesis chapter 21, we see, we see Abraham throwing a feast for his son Isaac. Isaac has just been weaned. Uh, in verse 9 and 10 of Genesis chapter 21, the Bible says, And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And we will go more in depth on the theological significance of this passage later. But for now, know that the New Testament marks this as persecution in Galatians 4.29. So in Galatians 4.29, Paul, speaking of this, this, uh, this event here with Ishmael and Isaac, he wrote, that, he wrote this, But as then he that was born after the flesh, speaking of Ishmael, persecuted him that was born after the spirit, Isaac. Again, we'll, we'll go more into theological significance of these verses later, but notice now Ishmael persecuted Isaac. So we have persecution to the seed, Isaac. The question for us then is when did this persecution begin? Could it line up with the 400 years, within the 400 years, uh, to make the law fit in there and, and all those things? Verse 8 in Genesis 21 says, And the child grew and was weaned, and Abram made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. So we'll talk about the age of Isaac and, and when it was that he could have been weaned. You know, and it was at this feast, for, for one, that we know that Ishmael began to mock Isaac. We see that also in Genesis 21. 
So when did this weaning happen? Studies have shown that before modern times, in ancient times, children were weaned at a much older age, even five or six years old, maybe even maybe even older. And there's a study today about uh, children-led weaning and let them stop weaning when they want to stop weaning. Uh, but nevertheless, we know that weaning went a little bit farther. And because of the suspected or the potential dangers of a high mortality rate among infants, uh, in the olden days, it was very common that when the child was weaned completely on solid foods and normal foods, they would throw a feast because he, was, he would be considered out of that danger and uh, his success or his chances of living were greatly enhanced. Uh, and that was the case here with Isaac. They threw a feast. Abraham was happy. His, his son was going to make it. And the Bible states in, in verse 5 of Genesis chapter 21, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born unto him. So think about this. If Isaac was five years old when he was weaned, which I believed he was, and you'll see my evidence here, my scriptural evidence for that here in a moment, uh, Abraham would have been 105 years old when Ishmael began to persecute, persecute Isaac at this, feet, uh, at this feast. And here's, here's kind of what, what was kind of interesting. If Abraham was 75 years old when he first received the promise from God, there in Genesis chapter 12, he left Ur of the Chaldees. The Bible says he was 75. This feast would have been when Isaac was five years old, but Abraham would have been 105. 30 years after the promise. 30 years. I think that's just marvelous. And this would be the beginning of the affliction and the beginning of the 400-year clock. This persecution at this feast would not end until the Passover. Exodus chapter 12, verse 41 says, And it came to pass, at the end of the 430 years, even the selfsame day, it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Therefore, there were 30 years from promise to persecution and 400 years from persecution to Passover for a total of 430 years. And furthermore, the feast for Isaac's weaning was not held in Egypt but in the southernmost border of Israel. Shortly thereafter, uh, Abraham is going to go to Mount Moriah and offer Isaac. So that's in the Holy Land. So Egypt, as you think about, they're, they're in the Holy Land during this persecution. And Egypt was most definitely a superpower of the day, probably the only superpower of the day. Uh, if you, you know, we talked about the Eastern Alliance and the, and the Western Alliance and those, and those battles and those wars that took Lot away and Abraham went and got them. Uh, but we picture Egypt transcending a little bit the, of those powers, especially when we see Abraham's ordeal going down there twice. Uh, they just seem a little bit uh, more powerful. So while the persecution began with Ishmael, uh, all of Palestine was, was in no doubt in some kind of servitude to Egypt. And I don't know if they paid taxes or anything, but they were, they were in their own land, the children of Israel, that, uh, that is. You know, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all these... Uh, they were in their own land, but they didn't really have freedom of movement as if it were their own land. They were under persecution. And speaking of that persecution, at that feast, when Ishmael was persecuting, he was mocking, the Bible says, he was mocking Isaac, 
Ishmael was 18 years old because he was born when Abraham was 86 and Isaac was five-year-old. Think of, think of the contrast there, an 18-year-old mocking a five-year-old, so much so that mom steps in and says, cast out this bondwoman and cast out her son. And we know from Galatians and, and even from Genesis that God says to Abraham to obey the voice of Sarah, or Sarah and, and cast him out. So Palestine uh, was had their thumb on, or, or the Egyptians had no free, or the Israelites rather, had no free reign there in the Holy Land, which fulfills God's promise to Abraham in verse 13. Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs. They will be afflicted. Uh, so that stranger, stranger in a land is ultimately fulfilled in the land of Egypt, but the persecution began at this feast when Abram was 105 years old. And if we use the ages given to us in the Bible to the genealogies, you know, from Abram to Isaac, how old Abram was when Isaac was born, how old Isaac was when Jacob was born, how old Jacob was when Joseph was born, and so forth. And also the, the genealogy between Levi, uh, from, Levi, from Levi to Kohath to Amram to Moses, we look at all of those, Israel is in Egypt for about 210, 215 years. Uh, and in conclusion, uh, when, we, when this passage, when we read this passage, when we study this passage in light of the complete record of Scripture, other parts in Genesis, other parts in the Pentateuch, uh, and we bring in the New Testament, Paul's, uh, Paul's shedding of light on it there in Galatians, uh, we see that the 430 years of Exodus chapter 12 and the 400 years of Exodus or Genesis chapter 15 are easily understood. There's no contradiction. They mesh quite perfectly, even to the very day. And knowing all of that uh, and how it unfolds, I believe, truly enables us to trust the Word of God even more. I believe it also increases our faith. Uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, which in turn enables us to not only trust the Word of God more, but to live out the Word of God even more and to please the Son of God in the way we live, in the way we walk, in the way we serve Him. And as we close, I hope that this has been a blessing to you. Uh, I hope that it, it, it's not foggy. I hope that it's clear to you, this timeline. And if you'd like more information on the timeline, or if you have any information or any, or any questions about the Bible or any, anything about the Bible at all, or any questions of me, I'll do my best to answer those things. Just send me an email to answers at hohenfailsbc.com. Answers at hohenfailsbc.com. Uh, and just, until next time, be safe, be good, and be Christian.